Amen. Good to be with you this morning. Good morning. And uh, if you've got little ones through grade four and you'd like them to be in children's church, they can be dismissed at this time downstairs. Teachers will meet you in the foyer. You swing down there and pick them up when you're all done. The rest of you, turn in your copy of God's Word to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, if you would. God's plan for a healthy church studies through these books. Comfort really is our title, Sweet from the Bitter. As we prepare for our study today, I invite you to turn there, and as you're turning there, over the last several weeks, we have had the unique experience of taking a fresh look at God's purposes in suffering and affliction in life and trusting him, very important in the middle of these things. The Apostle Paul, who quoted this prophet numerous times in his letters, undoubtedly read uh, this marvelous passage from Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17, where we see the prophet in the middle of difficult times and judgment on the nation. He says this, though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vine, though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food. This is not painting a very nice picture of the future, is it? Though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, here it is, yet I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength and he has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on high places. So in the middle of our study, could you say that with Habakkuk? Is it possible that uh, this is the norm and not maybe some high echelon Christian who somehow has arrived, but perhaps what the Lord has desired from us to say, you know, the Lord God is my strength and I trust him. And he has really made my feet like hinds feet and made me walk in my high places. In other words, in spite of my circumstances, I can say, even in the middle of difficulty, that the Lord is my strength and he's placed me right where he wants me. And this perhaps is exactly what his plan was for me. And so we have seen perhaps that that is maybe a paradigm shift for the modern church. I don't think it's that strange perhaps for churches in other ages, maybe in other locations, but maybe really strange for us to be able to say that with, uh, with Habakkuk and with Paul. So thoughtful things, I think, important things to think about as we go through difficult times in life. And, and we've seen these types of things in Habakkuk's experience that uh, you know, really are part of God's plan for us in accomplishing the purposes he has for us. This passage here, first, 2 Corinthians 1, 1 through 8, so important, I think it's so relevant for us as we uh, think about our coping skills in difficult times, turning us into people. God is doing this. He can use and reward us for perseverance and proven character and hope. God uses difficult times, he uses hardships, he uses difficult people, health issues, along with suffering for our testimony and for our relationship to Christ to bring us to the place he desires us to be when it gets right down to it, to put us right where he wants us. And I think we'll see that this week in the last part of this passage on suffering and comfort. And last week we took a short detour to look at 1 Peter 4, I won't go through that again, but uh, we see the apostle's admonition about suffering related to sin. Uh, in other words, he says, you know, there are su there's sufferings because God's doing some certain thing in your life. There's suffering because of the testimony of Jesus Christ and, and our, our association with him. And then there's this whole other kind of suffering that's related to, be a related to being an evildoer. And he says, uh, Peter says in that section, don't, be don't let any of you be found suffering for those things. So in other words, not all suffering is equal. Some is related to sin. And so 
Uh, Peter says, don't do that. And if you missed any part of that, I would encourage you to go online and catch up. The Lord allows us to have discernment in these things. He's given us enough understanding uh, to understand some of those. Uh, We don't always understand all of his purposes and everything, but we have enough understanding uh, to know that he's about certain things and why he does them. I think in my flesh we can all at one time or another relate to the comedian Robert Oban. He was quoted as saying, quote, Sometimes I get the feeling that the whole world is against me, but deep down I know that's not true. Some smaller countries are neutral. But there's a quote I really like from an old book. It reflects well the marvelous nature of difficult times in the life of a believer as the Lord would have us see them. The book is by a previous Wheaton College professor and President B. Raymond Edmond. It's the book, The, Deci- the Disciplines of Life. Uh, he was a close associate with Billy Graham. It's appropriate, I guess, because we're thinking about Billy. So I brought it to my mind. But he says this, pressed out of measure and pressed to all length, pressed so intensely it seems beyond strength, pressed in the body, pressed in the soul, pressed in the mind till the dark surges roll, pressure by foes and pressure by friends, pressure on pressure till life nearly ends, pressed into knowing no helper but God, pressed into loving the staff and the rod, pressed into liberty where nothing clings, pressed into faith for impossible things, pressed into tasting the joy of the Lord, pressed into loving a Christ life outpoured. And Paul, in the middle of pressing pressure, has surely given us these principles so clearly and cleverly arranged by Edmund. 1 Corinthians 1, 6, look there if you would. Paul says this, but if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And again, that word afflicted is the verb form of flipsis. It's the one uh, word that we've seen many times, commonly used of the difficult things we find ourselves in. It's called pressing pressure. It is the present passive indicative, and so the current condition caused by an outside force. In other words, something's going on in your life, and it's caused by something outside your life or an influence outside your life, lots of possible scenarios there, that put us in a pressing pressure. And then he says, if we're afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. There's a partnership in action we see. He says, uh, again, uh, through the comfort we receive, we become comforters, not a victim, but a minister. Uh, It's for you, and then the Greek noun soteria, It's for our comfort and salvation. So likely Paul, he is referring to himself and the other apostles as going through much hardship and a lot of affliction in the course of the ministry, bearing the marks of that ministry. And that hardship and that affliction during the course of ministry was so that they could bring comfort to the church. So that they, because of their understanding how the Lord comforts them in affliction in the middle of it, uh, they could, in that hardship then, bring comfort to the church. And that salvation then is in that uh, progressive sense of salvation, the sanctification work that the Lord's doing in the life of a believer, to bring them along in their understanding of hardship, to bring them along in their understanding of suffering, and the Holy Spirit's at work in the life of the believer through his physical time on earth, completed at the glorification of the body, but all along, Paul says, listen, the afflictions I've been in, the afflictions those around me have been in, are for your comfort, and to bring you along so that I can comfort you and help you in your difficult times. And so this unredeemed flesh is at work where the residual presence of sin is found and and it continues to need to be brought into subjection. And that, I think, appears to be Paul's testimony here. He says, um, if we're afflicted, it is for, if if we're in a pressing pressure, it's for your comfort and your salvation. And so if I'm afflicted, Paul says, it's for your comfort, for your ongoing sanctifying deliverance into your final salvation. So you can make your way through the difficult things of life that the Lord will bring you through. In other words, Paul says, primarily you can be uh, dis, uh, discipled into understanding the nature 
And here's the reason for our study, of course, the nature of suffering and God's purposes in them. He says, my suffering is linked to you. Paul says, it was the things I had to suffer in my affliction that molded and shaped me into the man that God wanted me to be. And then I came to you and I preached to you. And now he says, you know, it's my willingness to put my life on the line by God's grace uh, and, and the power of the Spirit, be afflicted and be comforted, that allows me to continue this ongoing relationship that will comfort you and continue this progress of joy and this sanctification that will bring you to your final glorification. You know, I've gone through so much, Paul says, so much affliction, even that you've put me through, and Paul has mentioned this numerous times, he's going to do it later in this second book that we're looking at, in addition to all the other affliction and hardship, but in all of that, God comes to me and makes me strong and shores me up so I can come to you and make you strong and shore you up and bring you to maturity. And so we see that really reflected in the modern church as well and God's purposes in difficulty. And then Paul comes around again and he drives the point home because it's so important. He says this, look back at your copy of God's word, verse 6, or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. So here's the deal. Um, Again, there's this partnership of all this, not just Paul and the church, but the church and the church, see? This handoff, if you will. So I've been afflicted, Paul says, and all the crushing pressure has been on me, so I can come along and I can encourage you, and you can encourage other people. So that's the handoff of the ministry that goes on. And there's this linking together. And Paul says, when I'm comforted, it's for you. Why? Because it becomes effective in enabling you to patiently endure the same suffering which we also suffer. Comfort is that perkalumetha. It is for your comfort. Again, present passive indicative. So again, outside, something coming outside and acting on it. This, this, this current condition accomplished by the Lord, God of all comfort and Father of mercies. That's our reality, Paul says. So not only does the pressure come from an outside force, the comfort comes then from someone else to you. From the Lord to Paul, from Paul to the church, and from the church to the church. So it has that outworking which is effective in the patient enduring, it says, of the same sufferings which we also suffer. So pressing pressure brings about patient enduring, as Edmund so carefully said in his poem, this Christ overflowing, the Christ life outpoured, the joy of the Lord, um, faith to impossible things, nothing clings to us, you know, the Lord is purifying us, that whole thing, seriously, just so all throughout these passages. And knowing that, Paul adds some dynamic to the process. He says, comforting one another energizes... That's the whole point there. Patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. It's effective. What, what has happened, if I'm comforted and you're comforted, that's effective. And it produces some fruit in your life, Paul says. And you're comforting each other. You're part of the process God uses to bring out perseverance, proven character, and hope. And those are important qualities in the life of the believer. And so Paul says the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And this is Paul, of course, maybe wishful thinking, a difficult church. Maybe some of the people in the Corinth were actually getting the same kinds of suffering Paul was getting, which means that they were suffering for Christ's sake and for their testimony's sake, and that's a great thing. A group of committed people there. So Paul says, verse 7, and our hope for you is firmly grounded. Why, Paul? Knowing that as you are sharers of our suffering, he says, so also you are sharers of our comfort. So we're not on shaky ground. There's this handoff that goes on here, and we know God produces the finished product in each of you that he determines to produce. So it's not a question of whether or not this will work. It does work, Paul says. This is how the church is supposed to function. And there are many things that we do inside the church, inside our gift set. We've certainly talked about that at length, uh, the way the Lord has equipped us in faith and equipped us with our gifts. We have uh, differing ministries and differing outcomes of those ministries. But here we just see this thing handed off to each believer in, in the specific case of your difficult times, and you're comforted by the Lord, and you hand off that comfort to someone else, you're helping produce patient endurance 
in the life of that believer. He sees that you endured, as she sees that you endured, and they endure as well. Okay? So it's a partnership. And biblically, you can never look at your own suffering. This is so important because this seems to be the, the, the default mode. You can never look at your own suffering independent from the whole body of Christ. We're going to see that reinforced today so clearly. There isn't any such Christian virtue of poor me, the whole, thing, the whole world, all this stuff is against me. No Christian virtue of that. Okay? There are some in the, in the Corinthian church and in the modern church who are suffering for the kingdom, and they're suffering for righteousness, and they're suffering for the gospel, or so that the Lord can accomplish some certain thing in them. And the, re- and the same reason Paul's suffering is the same reason ordinary faithful Christians are suffering. This isn't some higher echelon of people, see? And he says we can, multi- we can mutually share in each other's lives the comfort we've received from the Lord. And this, he says, is effective in, and it is energizing you to patiently endure through these sufferings and to be found, here it is, pure as gold. Because that's that, final, that's that final step. The purification process that's going on through the difficult times is to refine you. And then Paul moves on to these next four verses, and we get a glimpse into experiences of Paul through a personal model. And I think you'll really enjoy this, and and, uh, I think it'll be uh, very enlightening and helpful and perhaps surprising as we sim some of the wording here uh, of God uh, helping and in deliverance. This is verses 8 through 11. And he's going to to share with them a recent experience. And I'll just kind of foreshadow this by saying uh, one that we don't appear to have any other record of except in this passage. So we can't go to Acts 19 or, or Acts 18 and say, okay, here's the issue Paul's talking about because we don't really have it. Not that it'll compare uh, point by point. So this is, this is something that we only have record of here in this passage, and we're going to read it and then come back and break it down. And we're going to see the things that Paul understood and applied and that brought him through the trial, and that, of course, will be the model for us. And that's how that works. So Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul's obviously following Christ. This is how he's handling the difficult times and the hardship. And so then we see how Paul did it, and of course that's the way that we are uh, able to do it. And we should be able to move right through this next four verses, because we've already seen these principles. Now Paul's just going to show how they worked in his life, okay? And so if you're not already there, turn to 2 Corinthians 1.8, we're going to pick up right there, okay? 2 Corinthians 1.8. Can you forward that for me? For some reason this is not uh, moving this along. 2 Corinthians 1.8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Verse 9, see where we are? Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Verse 10, who delivered us from so great a peril of death, and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. Verse 11, you also joining and helping through your prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. And this is, a, this is really great because we're going to get to see Paul, we're going to get to see Paul's attitude. We've already divided that in this way that we, can saw, we saw Paul give us the attitude that we have to start with. We're going to see this, uh, which is a confident assurance in the nature of God. We're going to see the experience, which is at the very point of trouble, God is actively comforting. We're going to see that actively in Paul's life right now. We're going to see the application. So God gives us these benefits so we can give them away. He's going to show us how uh, he can comfort them and they can comfort each other. We're going to see that general illustration uh, Paul put into context for the church, which is that every believer shares in the sufferings of Christ and every believer shares in his comfort. And then the next four verses, we get to see a personal model of all of these things at work for everything he's set up to now and what a blessing that provides for us. See, because it, it is some insight into the personal experience of Paul. 
So to clarify now, just a couple of things to clarify. He's not suffering for wickedness, which we talked about last time, which is a whole other set of, of uh, rules concerning that. We don't, see any, we don't see any reward for suffering for wickedness. We don't see any, any benefit right now for suffering for wickedness. Certainly the Lord is correcting us and bringing us into a place where he can begin to use us because we're so far out of that spot. He's got to correct us. So Paul's not suffering for wickedness. And in this particular situation, he is suffering for the name of Christ. So not just uh, God accomplishing something in our life that he wants to have done, but he's, he's also, uh, he's particularly here suffering for the name of Christ and his circumstances. He's, sh he's, su he's sharing the sufferings of Christ. And so in that, like we saw last time, there is future reward and he can rejoice now because it shows the Holy Spirit's presence in his life. Well, I got all that from 1 Peter 4. So I just remind you of that last week because that helped round, round us out, help us understand what, some of the things the Lord does. Now, look at verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction. Now, stop right there. And again, that's our noun slipsis, pressing pressure. Most, very most common word used as it deals with difficult times. So we don't want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction, which came to us in Asia. And the first point is very obvious okay here it is principle this is principle eight on our list so as we started this passage we worked our way through so we've got to principle eight so i'll just tell you that's where we are and you can see that in your notes as paul gets the sweet from the bitter it's share the hardship very straightforward so as paul says this i think we can gather that the corinthians don't appear to have known about the difficulty that apparently happened in or around ephesus which is where paul's speaking of as he says asia paul knows that sharing these things are part of being involved with each other on a life basis he, so he says, the reality of our relationship to you makes it imperative that you don't remain agnoeo. And, and that's where we get that word uh, ignorant. It's also where we get our word agnostic, someone who doesn't know uh, if there is a God. But agnoeo, Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant. Paul knows it's impossible to look at 1 Timothy 3.15, Ephesians 2.19, which describe the church as part of a household, like a household, we're knit together with one another. Colossians 1.18 tells us we're each part of a physical body. 1 Corinthians 12.26 says this. says, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body, individually members of it. Now we, we looked at that at length, and so I think you understand that. Um, just one more place, Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says this, and verse 15 as well. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Now, just obviously, beloved, as you think about those passages, it is impossible to fulfill those admonitions and those models if we don't share the hardship. Would you agree? I mean, it's going to be, let me say it again. It's impossible to fulfill those admonitions as being knit together as a body of Christ if we don't share the hardships that we're in. We weren't made new in Christ to do things on our own. And I'm, I'm, I'm personally grateful for the form of our Berean Journey page. It allows us to share hardships and trials, and we do that regularly. But it's really sad, beloved, when, when believers keep those hardships to themselves. We just really avoid all of those things the Lord says specifically that we're supposed to do. It's, it's impossible to bear each other's burdens. It's impossible for us to be knit together as a body. It's, it's impossible for us to suffer with those who suffer and and rejoice for those who rejoice. It's impossible to be knit together. It's impossible to be part of a physical body. You can't fulfill any of that if we're not sharing right away as Paul does. Listen, he didn't skip over it because, well, they don't know it, and I'll just spare them the difficulty. 
No, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of the difficulty. And so he immediately shares the suffering. Now look at the rest of verse 8. We're going to see how bad the pressure was, and from that we'll pull the, uh, another principle. Paul says, I want you to know, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, see where we are, that we were burdened excessively. Paul says we were pressed down. Hyperbole, that's where we get our word hyperbole for overstating something. So Paul says we were pressed down excessively, crushed past what we have known, excessively pushed in the pressure. And then he says this, he says beyond our strength. Whatever kind of physical capability Paul had, this was beyond it. And, and we know that men can endure a lot, women can endure a lot. We've certainly seen examples of that throughout history. Historical dramas like Hacksaw Ridge and Unbroken, you know, give us an idea of the resilience of people. And surely a man as tough as the Apostle Paul, who had on his body the marks of the mission, certainly could endure a lot. But he said, I, want, I don't want you to be ignorant of, of this difficulty that we endured, which came to us in Asia. Um, we were burdened excessively beyond our strength. Uh, Paul says, listen, uh, this succeeded again, Hooper, the same prefix, this exceeded our strength, and then this, so that we, here's what he said, despaired even of life. Literally, we stood in doubt. We stood in doubt of life, aorist passive infinitive. In other words, because it was beyond our strength, we know literally there was no way out. So as Paul evaluates the whole situation, and he shares it with them, this is the depth of it. In other words, it didn't appear that we would live through it. We perceived that there was no exit for us. Paul, with all of his strength and all of his experience, said, you know, mentally, we were done, and physically, we were overpowered, and we saw only one way this was going to end, and, and that takes us to a principle that's very hard to hear. Here it is, principle nine. Sometimes, in the middle of the hardship, it's going to be bleak. Some of you know this already. Some of you haven't felt it yet. And perhaps if you got there and it was that bleak, you would think somehow you were outside the will of the Lord or you had moved away from where he wanted you to be. And I would refer you back to the passage from Habakkuk that we looked at just a minute ago. Sometimes it's bleak. Here's the Apostle Paul, inarguably a godly man. So we know it wasn't bleak because he was in sin. We know there wasn't, the Lord wasn't taking him to that sin of, that leads to death that we saw in 1 John 5 last week. He was being brought through oppressing pressure, Paul, beyond what he had experienced before, and he's honest, and he says, it was beyond my strength, and I thought it would end in death. But what we don't see, and catch this, what we don't see is Paul shaking his fist at the Lord. We don't see Paul calling the Lord's discretion into question, do we? Paul goes on to even more transparent statement. Look at the rest of verse 9. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves. Apocrima, that's sentence, that's the word used for an official report, an official decision. And Paul only uses this word one time in all of his letters, right here. So it wasn't just Paul and whoever was with him imagining that they were going to die. Within ourselves, SK come in, perfect active indicative, holding on to something. So in other words, he was holding on inside himself the official sentence of his own death. Paul says, I wasn't just imagining that I was going to die. I wasn't thinking, okay, this may end in my death, and maybe you've you know, been on a motorcycle or you've done something and you thought for a second that you were going to die. 
or some certain thing you did and it was stupid and then you were standing on the brink, you're like, I could have died right there and I didn't. This is like Paul said, it was past our strength, beyond what we could mentally handle, and then we got to the point where we actually had the official sentence in our heart. We held on to it. He knew this was the lowest point, that he was going to be killed for the gospel's sake. This was it. He was sure it was over. And this takes us to another principle that we can pull from Paul's experience. And again, this principle is very hard to hear. Principle number 10. Sometimes, as Paul gets the sweet from the bitter, I want to remind you of that. This is Paul taking the sweet from the bitter. Okay? Sometimes, it's not possible, catch this, beloved, to do anything in the flesh to bring about a change of circumstances. In other words, the pressing pressure is already out of your hands. It was beyond your strength when it started, and you're not going to be able to rein it in. And there's nothing physical that you can do that's going to change any of the outcome. That's where Paul was, okay? Nothing physical you can do that's going to make any difference in how this is going to come out. This is all of the Lord's hands. He's taken Paul beyond his ability mentally. He's taken beyond his ability physically, pressed down excessively beyond whatever he's had at this point. He says we actually had the sentence of death, and we held on to it. We understood this was it. So there wasn't anything Paul could do physically, and there won't be anything you can do in some difficult times to impact the outcome. And that's hard, isn't it, sometimes? We think we can think through it, we can work through it, you know, somehow logically, or we can just physically overcome it, right? It just depends on what our nature is. You know, we can, we can buy our way out of it, we can do whatever. Sometimes it's beyond your ability to, to change. This is where Paul was, okay? And again, we learn from him. And I think we can safely say, and listen, beloved, God brings us to that place for that very purpose. And I want you to assimilate that observation from Paul's life. Will you for a minute? Just think about that, okay? And don't forget why Paul had been brought to this point. And we'll get there in a moment. Remember what we learned earlier. My sufferings are for me and for you, and your sufferings are for you and for me. And so, and I say this tongue-in-cheek, if anybody has to get to the point where it exceeds their mental ability and their physical ability, and they had the sentence of death in their heart, I just assume it'd be Paul, right? So that he can bring that comfort to the church. If I'm in Corinth, right? Okay, well, if it's got to happen to somebody. Go get him, brother. I mean, that's what, I mean, inside we're thinking that we don't want, that doesn't sound fun, right? That doesn't sound like we're a place where we need to be. But again, we don't see God, uh, Paul impugning God's character in any way, do we? We don't see him shaking his fist at the Lord. The Lord made some mistake here. I'm not sure what was going on, you know. We're going to see later, Paul's going to plead with the Lord to take some things away from him. That's normal, isn't it? Hey, Lord, if it's possible, could you take it away? Didn't Jesus himself say, if it's possible, let this cup, what, pass from me? Even so, what, your will be done? And so, I, I, you know, it's, it's a very common response to say, Lord, if it's possible and I could be done with this, that'd be great. But you're not impugning God's character. And anyway, you're not saying, God, you were wrong in doing this. What in the world are you doing? All these things are against me. Oh, poor me. See, those aren't the traits we're supposed to have, is it? Are they? So the sentence was on him in his mind. And it must have been a lot like Hezekiah felt. Remember Hezekiah, 2 Kings 10? 20, verse 1, rather. In those days, Hezekiah became, remember, mortally ill. And so Isaiah walks in. He comes up to him and he says, Thus saith the Lord, set your house in order. You shall die and not live. That's nice. <laughs> That's the kind of friend you want to walk in your hospital room. You know, he knows from the Lord, hey, set your house in order, you're going to die and not live. It's good to know that. I mean, sometimes you're sick and you don't know you're going to die. I mean, most people, I think, you know, like Jerry Falwell Sr. used to say, if you heard that I died, I was most surprised. You know? 
I mean, nobody wants to get to that point, but here, you know, Isaiah walks in, tells Hezekiah, you know, set your house in order, you're going to die and not live. And I, I'm sure that's how, probably how Paul felt. I think that's the Hebrew equivalent, uh, opakrima, I mean, the sentence of death, there it is. The Lord has spoken, Hezekiah's not going to live. And of course, we know that Hezekiah sought the Lord after Isaiah walked out, he's not even out of the, out of the castle yet, he's not out of, out of the royal house, and Hezekiah comes before the Lord in a very humble way and says, Lord, can you add can you add to my life? And the Lord says, yeah, I'll add 15 years to it. And so we know that the Lord hears, but that was the sentence that Paul had in his mind. I mean, it was the sentence of death. He's going to die for the cause of Christ. And just like Hezekiah, it wasn't possible for him to bring about any change in the circumstances with fleshly power. Hezekiah could, could have said, hey, I'm going to get better, okay? I'm going to take my vitamins, and I'm going to exercise, and I'm going to be, you know, a couple months from now, you're going to see me going. Right? It was already, that was the sentence, Okay? And that's where Paul was. He couldn't change it in the, with his fleshly power. There's nothing he could do. Why? You know, why would God put Paul and us there sometimes? Look at the last part of verse 9. Here it is. So that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. And that first part is, is such a simple but profound statement, isn't it? And how much comfort would that provide to other people? If you got to the point where you understood it, how much patient endurance could the church begin to develop when Paul comforted them in their affliction? See? Beloved, this is super important. Straight from Paul's lips. Fresh from the trial, if you will. So this is fresh. He's coming to the church. I want you to be aware of what happened to me. And so this principle 11, very important. This has got, and I would say this, there's a lot of things God wants to do and things he, some certain things he has to accomplish in your life, and he wants to bring you to some certain point, and he wants you to make you a comforter, and when you comfort, you energize this whole process of patient enduring. But I think the great overarching purpose in every trial is what? That we would not, what? Trust in ourselves. I mean, the Lord wants to get us to right there, doesn't he? He'd like us to get to right to that point where we don't trust in ourselves. When Paul says, you know, God took us to this place where we had no escape, we had no physical ability, and no way to figure it out intellectually, no way to deal with it emotionally. No one could come and bail us out. That's exactly where the Lord wanted us, see. And so Paul is at that lowest point. The sentence of death is in his life. And now he can come to the church because the Lord obviously delivered him, because here he is. And he can bring comfort to the church in any circumstance, can't he? He can bring comfort to someone who's under God's chastening for sin, and right at the point of death. Can he not? Because Paul had the sentence of death outside his control. Then he brings that in. Beloved, it was so desperate for Paul that he had to trust in God, catch this, who raises the dead. So think about the process. Paul's at the point of his life where he doesn't think he's through with his ministry. Okay? And I'll show you the support I have for that in just a second. He's obviously believing that God has more for him to do. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, remember this passage? Paul is talking to his son in the, in the faith, and he says this. He's probably at the end because he tells Timothy some words that tend to make us understand that he understood he was at the end of his rope, at the end of the line the Lord had given him. Here it is. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Now, that doesn't get gathered up again, beloved, okay? When you pour out a drink offering, it's used up, okay? When David got that water brought by his mighty men from inside the walls of Bethlehem, they brought it out to him, and he said, I'm not going to consume something that costs the, the blood of men who are with me. And he poured it out as a drink offering to the Lord. And his men are standing around like, what? But I think they understood. I'm worshiping you in this way, Lord. This was of the highest premium value. And so this is what I gave to you. Paul says, listen, I'm, I'm, at, I'm at the time of my departure has come. I'm being poured out like a drink offering. Verse 7, I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. Verse 8, in the future there is laid up for me 
the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but all those who have loved his appearing. So he's saying this. I'm being poured out as an offering, but God can still fill the container back up. Is that what he's saying? No. No. The time of my departure to be with Christ has come, but maybe he'll put me back in the ministry for some more time. Is that what he's saying? No. No, we get to this point. He says, I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. Everything is about coming to the end of his ministry and departing and being with Christ, which Philippians 1.23 says is far better, right? To depart be with Christ is far better. We all agree with that, don't we? To depart be with Christ is far better. But here, see, in 2 Corinthians 1.9, he recounts for them, hey, I knew I had more to do. But the only way I would be able to do it was for God to what? Raise me from the dead. He wasn't saying, okay, that was, I was at the end of my line, the Lord, I was poured out like a drink offering, that was the end of it, I'm looking forward to the, you know, being with Christ, which is far better, and all that stuff. No. I mean, he was in Ephesus, obviously he thought he had more things to do. The Lord hadn't revealed to them that this was the end, but he thought it was the end. It was the end of his physical strength, the end of his middle, mental strength. Uh, he's, he uh, is at the point where he couldn't impact it in any way and change the circumstance and the sentence of death. He was holding on to it because that's what he thought he was. So he says, listen, if the Lord still has more for me to do, I just trust God who can raise the dead because he can't. He was that far gone. And that's a great lesson from Paul, isn't it? Catch it. God wants us to get to the point in pressing pressure that we rely totally on him and not ourselves, even in the most excessive of pressure. If he wants us to do more and we already have the sentence of death, then he'll have to just raise us. And can God do it? Of course he can. So in illness, let's just make this real, okay? So in illness, in financial hardship, in relationship problems, whatever it is, you realize that at the point it begins to, catch this, erode your self-confidence and your ability, whatever they are, Okay? It appears from Paul's example that at that point, you are exactly where he wants you to be. At the point it begins to erode your ability to do anything, okay, to impact it. You can't affect it in any way. You can't reason your way out of it. You can't strengthen your way out of it. You can't you know, logic your way out of it. You can't buy your way out of it. You are in a position where you are totally relying on the Lord. That's God's great overarching purpose in every trial, beloved, and you are right where, I think you could say at that point, you're exactly where he wants you to be. In that pressing pressure where you can't impact it and you're relying on him, you are precisely where he wants you. In addition to that, as we have seen, you are at the point where you can truly be a comfort to other people and equip them for the ministry. God has interceded for the church to accomplish the fruit of patient endurance, proven character, and hope, and that's precisely what you can do when you're at the point where you can't impact that, that difficult time at all. And I hope that changes as you look back over the course of your life, okay, in the privacy of your own thoughts, and you think about the difficult times you've been through. Think about how you dealt with those, okay? Because Paul, even Paul said, you know, I'm not looking back at the things where we're behind, but I'm pressing forward towards the mark of the, call, uh, the high calling of Christ, right? So there may be things in the way that you managed the difficult times in your life in the past where you did not conform in this, and you impugned God's character, and you called him into question, and you was, all these things are against me, and whatever, and, and you didn't learn the lesson the Lord wanted you to learn, okay? Perhaps later you began to learn it, and as you look forward, understand, think about this, 
when you get to the point in a difficult time where you can't impact it at all, you're precisely where the Lord wants you to be. And at that point, you're going to be able to provide comfort and encouragement to help other people come along too. See? And that dynamic in the church then is energized by you're realizing you're exactly where the Lord wants you to be. And Paul, in the middle of the most pressing of hardships, says in verse 10, look there if you would, look at verse 10. This is so great. Again, we just see Paul's unshakable confidence in the nature of God, okay? I was at the point where I couldn't impact this. Mentally, I was overwhelmed. Physically, I was overwhelmed. I was at the point where if the Lord wanted me to continue ministry, I already had the sentence of death on me, so he'd have to raise me. Verse 10, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. Principle 12. You see Paul's confident, unshakable assurance as he gets the sweet from the bitter. Here it is. There is no trial beyond God's ability to strengthen, comfort, and accomplish all his will for believers. No trial beyond that. No trial beyond that. Paul can say that so confidently, can he? Father of mercy is the God of all comfort who comforts us in any affliction. You're not going to convince Paul that isn't the case, especially now, right? And you can read Paul's confidence in God's ability. Here it is. He delivered us. He will deliver us. He will yet deliver us. So in other words, he delivered us from this one. He'll deliver us from the next one. And then there's this sense that when Paul says, and he will yet deliver us, I think he's referring to a future final deliverance. Right? He's he delivered us from this one, and the next one's not going to be a problem, and he will yet deliver us. He'll deliver us permanently from all of this. And just as a footnote to that, I think we would generally define deliverance as relief from certain difficult circumstances. Right? I mean, that's deliverance in general. And that certainly could apply to Paul's use of deliver here. But here's the, here's the deal. He might deliver you through it. He might deliver you to himself. I think that's the whole issue. He, Paul says, listen, he, he delivered us this time, and he'll deliver us next time, and he will yet deliver us. So there's the, there's the idea of deliverance. It doesn't necessarily mean a relief from the immediate activity. It could mean that he's going to deliver you right to himself, which is, of course, ultimate relief from it, right? Paul says, I had the sentence of death on me. If the Lord wanted me to continue, he'd have to raise the dead. But he was perfectly confident that that would be exactly what the Lord wanted. See? He's the God of all comfort. He is the Father of mercies. So he's able to comfort you in any affliction. He can take you through it, and he can take you right out of it. And we certainly have some examples, listen, of God not bringing relief from circumstances. Okay? Just... I won't go in the passages for time's sake, but, you know, we have David and the, ch and his, and the child of Bathsheba. And David pleaded with the Lord to spare the child. Did the Lord spare the child? No, he did not. He had some very difficult lessons to teach David, and David had to learn them, didn't he? And yet, as soon as the David learned the child was dead, what did he do? He got up, and washed his face, and what did he do? He worshiped the Lord, because the Lord is sovereign in all his ways. We have David and Absalom. Did God deliver David from that difficult situation in the way David would have preferred? No. It resulted in the death of Absalom, right? And David didn't react well to that, did he? So I love about the scriptures. Not everybody comes out shining, do they? We see the failures, just like our failures, and we see the 
the victories, just like our victories. And certainly Job, as we mentioned before, I mean, he went through difficult times, didn't he? Right up to the point of death. Okay? The, the Lord told Satan, you can do up to, don't take his life, but everything else is free game. You know, all of Hebrews 11, if you read through Hebrews 11 and you see all these people, were they delivered out of all their difficulties? No. Not that we, as we would understand deliverance in its most likable sense. You got me out of it and I'm, everything's okay now. No, he delivered them to himself, didn't he? You think about, and this is my favorite one, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Uh, they were delivered through the fire. Remember Daniel chapter 3, verse 15? So they didn't bow down. You know, some great, great memes of that and all that. But so Nebuchadnezzar says, you know, I'm just kind of cutting right to the, the point where I want to make uh, the illustration. But if you do not worship, so if you'll bow, I'm going to play the music again, bow down. Everything's cool. But just keep on going. But if, you know, I play the music and you don't bow down, you will immediately be cast in the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And then he says, it's just so, it's just it's a leading statement where you can just say, if you're confident in the Lord's ability, you can, you can answer very confidently. He says, and what God is there who, will, who can deliver you out of my hand? Well, glad you asked. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. In other words, you already know our character. We, Listen, you, we've established who we are right from the start. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. There's that word. He can deliver us out of your hand, out of the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. One way or another, we're delivered from you. You have no ultimate power over us. But even if he does not, in other words, if we perish in the flame that you're going to throw us in, let it be known to you, O king, we will not be, we will not, we're not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you set up. And I would imagine, listen, if you think about them, that wasn't a comfortable thing to do, was it? I mean, you got thousands of people bowing down and they're standing up. I mean, immediately everybody sees what's up, okay? You don't need a drone to figure out that these three guys are not bowing down, okay? And I'm sure they despaired of life, right? I mean, they were, they're human. I mean, if the Lord's going to take you right to the point of death, that might hurt, The situation was completely out of their hands, wasn't it? There was nothing they could do to impact that. That was completely beyond them from the very beginning. They put themselves, because they wouldn't bow down to a false god, they put themselves in a position where it was going to be out of their hands immediately. And they were relying fully on the Lord, weren't they? The Lord can deliver us from you, and he can deliver us from, and he surely will deliver us from you. But even if he delivers us to the death in the flames, it doesn't matter because we're not going to change. And how about Daniel, you know, and we won't go there, but, you know, so a bunch of folks don't like Daniel, you know, so you're not allowed to pray to anybody but the king. And so they find Daniel. That's his habit. Remember, he's praying. And he said, ah, I'm praying. All right, so they haul him into the king. King established the edict. Okay, Daniel going into the lion's den, you know, and uh, that probably wasn't very exciting to think about. All right, so you got a bunch of starving lions in this pit, and you're going to be chucked in there with them. That's going to be painful for a few minutes. So he despaired of life, completely out of his control, wasn't it? And did the Lord deliver him out of it? Yeah, but he had to go through it, didn't he? I mean, he got thrown in there, and the Lord delivered him. Out, you know, he didn't take his life at that point. And again, the book of Hebrews is full of those who were not delivered over from death, and, and even in the direst of situations, suffering for Christ's sake. And I'm sure they felt that pressure of the sentence of death on them. They held on to it, right, because it was there. They understood what was going to happen. It was beyond their ability to impact anything, right? They had to be completely reliant on what the Lord had, uh, could do. 
And they were okay if the Lord just took them to be with him. And, and that was deliverance. So whether he delivers you out of it or not, he's still good, right? Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And Paul says, he on whom we have set our what? Hope. We trust him on whom we've set our hope. We've set our hope on him. That's exactly what the Lord wants, both now and for eternity. He on whom we've set our hope. He doesn't want us to trust ourselves, and when we at, are at those points, we are people of proven character. When we have set our hope on him, we've come to the point where we know it's out of our control and we're perfectly fine with that. When we get to the point where we have to say, you know what, there's no trial beyond God's ability, and the overarching purpose of every single trial is that we wouldn't trust on ourselves. When we're at that point and we're okay with that, we're precisely where he wants us to be, and we've been refined. You see, that's precisely what he wants to have happen. This purifying process, this threshing, if you will, has skimmed off the dross, and there you are. Exactly the kind of people God wants, not the wishy-washy, well, maybe God will deliver me, but maybe I can get out of it myself, and I don't want this to happen, all that kind of stuff. So listen, it just shows there are a bunch of impurities still there. And this, some, and this person God has set aside for his own purposes, and this, this, uh, this individual who the Lord is going to promote to heaven and be with him, this person he has set his affection on, still isn't where he wants him. See? He doesn't want us to trust in ourselves. And then finally, verse 11, look there if you would, and we'll wrap up. So Paul pulls everybody in again to the ministry, okay? And so again, we're going to see all these, these things we've seen already. And see, he says this, you also, see where we are, in helping us through our prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. Stop right there. And like we saw last time from John 5, 16, and suffering for wickedness, but we again see here this important principle concerning watch care. Remember what I told you at first, first John 5? That I think the, the overarching principle there as we see people leading, uh, doing sins that are leading to suffering and perhaps to death is that watch care, that the prayer that we're supposed to provide for them, right? And so I think this is the same issue here. It's a watch care over the saints, over each other, in any suffering and any hardship, whether it be suffering for sin, and we can obviously see that perhaps is the case, or maybe it's not clear, as we saw last time, it's not always clear that it's suffering for sin. It might be suffering because God's doing some certain thing in their life, or whatever. We can't divine always the, the, uh, the, the issue that's at stake here, but principle 13 is still true. As Paul shows us how to get the sweet from the bitter, part of the responsibility of the church is found in what? Bearing each other's burdens. We see that all through the scripture, don't we? All through the scripture. And it's a really simple, obvious passage that really illustrates that principle found in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. You remember it. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. So in the middle of difficult times, and we're seeing people go through suffering, we're supposed to bring these things to prayer. And even if this suffering is related to sinfulness, or if it's related to God doing some certain thing in their life, or they're suffering for Christ's sake and for their testimony, or whatever, whatever it is, we could say with Paul here that this sums up the one another's of all of scripture. Bear one another's burdens. So there should be no disconnect in the ministry done to one another. And they now share with him in his suffering, and he shares with them in their sufferings by bringing each before the Father. Prayer places, catch it, human impotence at the feet of God's sovereignty. Prayer places human impotence at the feet of God's sovereignty. We have no power over this, Father. It is beyond our ability to impact it in any way. And so we're just kind of bringing our impotence right before you. And you can do whatever you want with it. 
So they're praying for God's purposes to be done. They're praying for endurance and pure character. And they're praying along with God's will, see? Because that's precisely what the Lord wants. And we're most effective in our prayer life when we're praying along with the Lord's will, aren't we? Pray for the peace of Israel. Alex prays almost every week. Lord, let peace come to your land. Are we praying along with the Lord's will? Sure we are. Does the Lord want peace to come to Israel? Sure he does. Is he going to bring about peace in Israel? Absolutely. So we're praying along with the Lord's will. See, we're not playing contrary to it. So as we see sufferings and difficult times, we bring that before the Lord. We bear that burden to say, Lord, you know, accomplish all your will here. Let your purpose be done in this suffering. Um, may, may it produce this proven character and hope and patient endurance that you want in their lives. And so you pray right along with God's will. And catch this, in all of that, no one's calling the Lord's motives or methods into question. See, why are you letting them go through this, Lord? Why is this such a difficult time uh, for them? Why, why, why do they seem to have one after another? There's not that, see? No one's imputing the Lord's character. No one's saying, all these things are against me or all these things are against you. Paul just says, God's going to do what he's going to do, but he's going to do it in concert with your prayers. And there's this important ministry of prayer for one another that needs to happen in the church. Not just the comforting, because you've been comforted and you can comfort with that comfort. And not just as you comfort, realizing it's producing patient endurance in the life of the other person because they see that you endured. Okay? But there's this bearing of burdens and praying along with the Lord's will to happen in their life. See? James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed course, dealing with difficult physical things as a result of sinfulness, uh, long-term sinfulness in the life, but you still get the same thing, don't you? Confess your sins to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. God moves through the prayers of his people. He, he wanted to ensure that they were in each other's future ministry. Paul says, you didn't know this happened. I didn't want to keep you ignorant about it, so this is what happened. But as you were praying for me, understand you were accomplishing God's will in my life. And I went through all of that so I could come to you, and now I can be a comforter to you, and I can be a comforter from the bottom, okay, right down where the death was imminent. And I can bring that comfort to you. And you join with me in prayer, see? He wanted to ensure, hey, we're in each other's future ministry. He wants to make sure that down the path of ministry and life together in the church, there, there is interceding and there's praying for each other, see? So in all of that, the Lord looks as glorious as he is and receives thanksgiving he deserves as he brings his people to perfection. Not all these things are against me. Lord, thank you for the difficult times. Rejoice when you find yourself in various trials, right? Peter says, have joy and don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that you're going through. Why? Because God's accomplishing all his purposes. And we pray along with the Lord when we see difficult times in other people's lives. He wants us connected to it, okay? Can we say along with the psalmist in Psalm 31, 24? Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. Well, that's pretty easy when everything's good, right? But I don't think that's what the psalmist was talking about, is he? Be strong and let your heart take courage. Why? The Lord's accomplishing all his, all his will, all his purposes for you. All you who hope in the Lord. Psalm 146, 5, can you say this? How blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, and whose hope is in the Lord his God. Is that where your hope is? Because you're blessed, if that's the case. When you go through difficult times, do you immediately turn to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm supposed to rejoice in all this? And so I will. Because this is where you want me right now. 
and you're going to make me the person you want me to be for whatever reason you've brought me into suffering, whether it was sinfulness in my own life or you're just proving a heavenly point as with Job or, or it's I'm accomplishing some certain thing in your life, the Lord says, or you're suffering for Christ's sake, whatever the issue may be, or you have this difficult time so the Lord can be glorified in some way, see? Whatever it is, how blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord. How about Peter? He knew so much about that, right? The Lord, uh, the Lord said, Satan desires to sift you as wheat. And we talked about that whole threshing process. That didn't sound fun. And when you're done, encourage your brother. And Peter says this, if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, so that's already occurred and continues to, I would imagine, occur, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. So in other words, you see the destruction there and you realize that the sins of Sodom are punished by the Lord and they're not approved by him. See, And they become the example of what it looks like to sin. If the Lord is able to put, uh, when, when angels sin, cast them into hell and, and into pits of darkness, we know they're going to be released during uh, the time of tribulation. He didn't spare the ancient world, but covered it with a flood and killed everybody but eight people. And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men still speaking of Sodom and Gomorrah, for what he saw and heard, that righteous man while living among them felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. So we get an insight in what was actually going on with Lot as he lived close to the cities on the plain. Catch it. If he can do all that, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from Philipsis, doesn't he? He knows how to rescue the godly from pressing pressure and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. He knows how to do both, and he does do both. God knows how to rescue the godly from trial, and it's those trials that bring us to the place of proven character and hope. And hope doesn't disappoint, okay? And I just put this out there so that you remember this as we close, okay? You know what that means? That means no one's going to get to the end of their life in Christ and say, you know, that wasn't worth it. Hope doesn't disappoint. The Lord produces what he wants to produce in the way he wants to produce it. And believers, when they get to the end and they stand before him, nobody's going to say, man, this is great and all, but man, the, the pathway leading up to it, that wasn't worth it. And we'll still be moving in that direction when we model the principles we can see at work in Paul's action and his attitude in the middle of difficulty, getting the sweet from the bitter. So principle number one, this is a lesson. You don't have to take any more notes or anything, okay? Principle number one from Paul's life. That's where we start. An attitude of confident assurance in the nature of God. He just reaffirmed that as we went through his personal model, right? He delivered us. He will deliver us. He will for sure deliver us. Principle number two. Paul gets the sweet from the bitter. He's at the very point of trouble. Paul says God is actively comforting. That is the reality of every person in trouble who loves the Lord. Principle three, getting the sweet from the bitter. God gives us these benefits so that we can give them away. If he comforts us, we can give that comfort away. And remember, Paul says in principle number four, don't forget this, the sufferings of Christ, that Christ had to suffer are ours in abundance. There's a commonality of, with believers 
They all share the sufferings of Christ. And related to that, the comfort that comes from Christ as we share in his sufferings is part of the commonality that all believers share. So we have the sufferings that come from Christ, our connection to him, and we have the comfort that comes from Christ, our connection to him. Because of this experience, we're all equipped then, principle six, as a partnership in the church. All our sufferings and our difficulties enable us to minister to each other. And comforting one another, principle seven, energizes patient endurance in the church. It's what the Lord, that's the dynamic the Lord wants to have happen inside the church. That's the character trait God wants us to have. And then Paul models all these last five to give us an example of what to do. Principle eight, we just saw it. Paul gets the sweet from the bitter. When you're going through a hardship, share it. Share it with a believing church. Share it with individuals who pray for you. Share it so that it can be prayed for and people will know what you're going through. Principle nine, Paul gets the sweet from the bitter. Sometimes in the middle of the hardship, as you're in it, it's going to be bleak. Sometimes it'll be really bleak. And sometimes, principle 10, it's not possible to do anything in the flesh to bring about any kind of change of circumstance. You're at the point where you cannot impact it in any way. The Lord has you in some certain place, and that's exactly where he wants you. And then principle 11 tells us why, as Paul gets the sweet from the bitter. It's the realization that this is God's great, overarching purpose in every trial, that we would not trust in ourselves. In principle 12, when you see Paul getting this confident assurance, he says, there's no trial beyond God's ability to strengthen, comfort, and accomplish all his will for believers. So you keep that in mind. If there's no trial that's beyond his ability to accomplish exactly what he wants, and then finally, we don't learn all of that in a vacuum. Part of the responsibility of the church is found in bearing one another's burdens. We come right back around, right? It's all part of this ministry that goes on in the church as a result of God's working through difficulty and suffering in the life of the believer. Let's bow and be dismissed in prayer. Lord, we thank you today for an opportunity to examine these marvelous truths from uh, the life of the Apostle Paul here as he shares a heart, uh, his heart with a church that caused him so much pain. Just so transparent, he says, listen, you didn't know this. And then gives him credit for pay, praying for him and bearing his burdens, even though many were not, probably thought he was suffering because he was supposed to and because God was punishing him and all the, all the false things that were going on there, they didn't know. And Paul just says, listen, this is how it was and this is where I was and this is how, what I learned from all of this and now I can come and I can comfort you from really the bottom, from where I, I despaired even of death. I had, to, I had no strength physically, I had no strength mentally. I was at the point of death and I had the sentence of death, and I was holding on to that. That's it. And so I thought, God will have to raise me if he wants me to keep on ministering. And, and even in the middle of probably false accusations and, and things going on in the church that would be uh, disrespectful to Apostle Paul, as we'll see him later in the book, um, Paul says, listen, this, this is what was really going on, and, and now I can comfort you. And no doubt it impacted some who, read the who heard the letter read, and no doubt it's impacted the church ever since. But more than that, Father, I guess, uh, all of those examples is the application, and I pray that you'll do that liberally by your Holy Spirit. In, in whatever circumstance we may find ourselves, the hardships that the life, just life brings, or people, or, or health, or financial issues, or, or whatever it is, Lord, help us to be able to put these principles to work. Help us not to be among, uh, among those uh, immature who impugn your character in some way, or woe is me, why is this all happening to me? In fact, help us to be wise and be able to discern the things in our own lives. Perhaps you will hide it from us like you did with Job and they won't know uh, why you're doing it. Perhaps it'll be clear that we're doing it because we're living in open sinfulness and you brought this on us to correct us because you love us and by doing it, you've proven that we're yours. 
And maybe it's because you see some things that need to change in us, perhaps a humbling, a, a correcting, a, a, sh a shaving off of some rough edges or, or to bring us to prayer or those around us to prayer or whatever. And perhaps it's suffering for uh, our, the gospel's sake, perhaps because we stand up for the faith. We, we've had difficult times in our businesses and, and an employer has treated us roughly or perhaps the world uh, has rejected us and mocked us and slandered us. Whatever it is, Lord, help us to be able to discern it. Give us wisdom to discern as we understand your purposes in much of this. We know overall you want to produce in us patient endurance. You want to produce in us one who's been purified. And in all of that, hope. And hope doesn't disappoint. So help us to be those kinds of people. Bring us along in whatever walk we are with you uh, in that direction because this is what you desire. And we won't, we'll get to the point at the end where we'll look back over the trial and, we'll, and the difficult times. And particularly if it's for... Uh, the gospel's sake, we're rewarded in heaven and we're encouraged by the Holy Spirit and we'll be able to glorify you in a way that we wouldn't have uh, been able to glorify you because of the hardships, Lord, and we'll look back there and we'll just say, Lord, thank you for that. Thank you that I can now make you look even more wonderful with my own life, close to what you really are, Father. We thank you for all of that. And we give you praise today. We thank you for a church. Thank you for our ministry together. We thank you for the love that's uh, among us in Christ, for the unity that is in the bond of Christ. We thank you for the time we could spend today worshiping in music and worshiping and giving and, and worshiping in prayer time and in around your word and downstairs with the kids. And for all these things, we're grateful. Thank you for your work among us. And we give you praise today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. So.